Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have civil rights attorney and interim legal director of Muslim Advocates, Serene Shabaya. Serene shares her work on Muslim ban litigation, family separation, her experiences at the border, as well as the rights that immigration detainees hold. Recent data shows that there has been an 84% decrease in permanent resident visas issued to Muslim immigrants over the last year. Serene speaks to this matter and how her group is working to protect the religious rights of citizens in this country. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So today we have Serene Shabaya, who is a civil rights attorney and the interim legal director of Muslim Advocates. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. And um, stepping back, I'll also say a couple of words about the organization itself, um, okay. you know, for the benefit of, of uh, sure. this wonderful audience today. Um, Muslim Advocates is an organization that was founded around 2005 and whose mission is basically to fight for freedom and justice for Americans of all faiths. Um, and we do this through a variety of different means of advocacy. One of the very important advocacy tools that we have been using, especially lately, is litigation and civil rights litigation. Uh, and this is the part that's sort of most directly the focus of my work. Um, mm -hmm. uh, previously, I was a senior staff attorney, and now I'm the interim legal director there. And in that capacity, um, we bring civil rights lawsuits on a very vast range of issues that impact uh, Muslims and also more broadly the Muslim Arab and South Asian community um, and also recently the immigrant community more broadly. Um, mm. And we fight on all these fronts because we think that in upholding the rights of our neighbors, we're also upholding our own rights and that now more than ever, all of our communities should be standing together to kind of fight uh, against the assault of civil rights violations that are coming our way. Um, so against, yeah. So against this backdrop, um, uh, I'll kind of talk about a couple of our areas of work. One sort of broad area of work that we have been prioritizing, obviously, is the fight against the Muslim ban. Uh, in that context, we've brought a couple of uh, major lawsuits challenging the ban itself, um, first against the second ban and then against the third version of the Muslim ban, which is currently in effect, the presidential proclamation um, that bans travel for most nationals of um, five Muslim-majority countries. Um, we have a challenge uh, that kind of attacks the ban broadly and says the entire thing is unconstitutional. Mm. Um, that is currently continuing to be litigated in the district court in Maryland alongside a couple of other challenges. The case is Iyab versus Trump, Ir mm. Iranian alliances uh, across borders versus Trump. Uh, in the aftermath of Trump versus Hawaii, the nature of the case changed a little bit, but we're continuing to litigate and continuing the fight for our communities in that context. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a uh, sort of very large class action lawsuit that we uh, have brought with Lotfi Legal out in San Francisco. Uh, and that's, uh, it's pending before uh, Judge Donato in the Northern District of California. Um, it's a class action lawsuit that basically alleges that um, even though the text of the ban says that people will be granted individual case-by-case -case review and that they mm -hmm. will be given a waiver from the terms of the ban if they meet certain criteria like undue hardship and a couple of other criteria that the ban lists, um, that in reality that's not actually happening, hmm. that the waiver process is a sham, um, that the government used that process in litigation, like to say, oh, it's not really a ban because people can get waivers, but then the facts on the ground are that the waiver process is opaque, um, it's uh, confusing, it's a sham, it's window dressing, 
people with really meritorious cases don't get waivers. Um, there was a woman who whose son was dying in, an, in a hospital in California. Hmm. And for an entire year, she was not being given a waiver. And finally, she was able to come and see him a week before he died because a lawsuit was filed and a huge media push was done. And that, I think, in itself highlights that the waiver process was not working. If the waiver process was working in the ordinary course, if it was a meaningful and real process, this woman would have gotten a waiver a year before she actually did. Um, but she didn't. And as a result, she only was able to come and say goodbye to her dying son. Um, so so where does it stand right now? And what would you say is the reception from when the public and then also the the courts, what, what, what are they saying now? Yes. So our challenge, our class action challenging the waiver process in California uh, survived uh, what's called a motion to dismiss. So mm -hmm. the way that this procedure works, and, and some of the audience might be familiar with it or not, but you file a complaint and then the government has to either answer or move to dismiss the complaint or they can do other things too. But um, in our case, we filed the complaint or we amended the complaint in July. Um, the complaint had originally been filed in March by some other groups, and then we came on board and amended the complaint after Trump versus Hawaii in July. And then the government moved to dismiss the case, essentially arguing to the court, there's no merit here, it should be thrown out. This is a case about that can't withstand a legal challenge. We argued that case before the court in California uh, in December. And then just at the beginning of February, the judge issued a ruling allowing our lawsuit to go forward on most of our claims and giving us a chance to sort of take another crack at some of our other claims. So mm -hmm. as of right now, this lawsuit is proceeding. We're fighting out some silly little procedural issues with the government, but the court has said that they've alleged enough to kind of move forward with their lawsuit. And that's a very encouraging finding, at least on part of our claims. Um, so we're continuing to sort of fight this out. I think on the other case, like the, the EAB versus Trump case, we're also continuing to fight it out with the government, obviously, right. in Maryland, and we're still awaiting the, the district court's decision on the motion to dismiss. Mm -hmm. But both cases are still live. The courts haven't thrown them out. And I think, generally speaking, the communities who are impacted continue to be impacted. Like the people that we right. represent, in the San Francisco case, for example, we represent 34 Iranian, Libyan, Syrian, Somali, um, and Yemeni individuals who are all like every day being separated from their families in terrible circumstances. Some of their families are living in war zones. We have like spouses and newborn children who are separated from their, you know, other spouse. We have elderly parents who are living by themselves in a war zone, separated from their children. Um, we have every one of the people that we represent and the broader communities to which they belong are suffering extreme losses every day because of this completely illegitimate um, process that is not actually even on its own terms, giving them a fair shake. Right. Each of these people meets the examples that are set forth in the Muslim ban about it, cases where there should be a waiver from the ban, but none of them have actually gotten a waiver from the ban, and they're all still stuck abroad, um, waiting to be reunited with their families. Right, right. So going to the personal experiences of uh, many of these Muslim families, what have you seen the, the change from, let's say, this administration in the last uh, administration or previous administrations, has it been a, an, an increase in, I guess, stricter policies? So I think that this administration has launched an all-out attack on immigrants in every possible way that it can. Mm. And I think that the, the Muslim ban is actually one tool in its vast anti-immigrant arsenal that it has been deploying. Um, so as far as the families that we represent in this context, obviously they are facing an insurmountable challenge because they're being banned, like literally right. banned because of their religion and their 
national origin in our yeah, view. I, I think they say um, it's an 84% <laughs> uh, decline in terms of uh, permanent resident uh, yeah. visas. Statistically, has been quite a bit of a drop-off. Definitely. There, there actually was a great uh, Washington Post editorial this morning about this, which references our lawsuit without naming it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was there was an editorial today that kind of talked about the decline in numbers, the fact that the rejection rate has gone from like in 2017, it was a thousand. And this year it's something like yeah. you know, many, many multiples of that, which really Quite shows the impact yeah. of the ban. I also think even leaving the ban aside, there have been a number of new extreme vetting measures that have been put in place that are really... Um, slowing down the ability of people from Muslim-majority countries generally to come to the United States, whether or not they're from the banned country specifically. Um, and I would also add that the Muslim, Arab, and South Asian communities are not the only immigrants who are facing extreme scrutiny and hardship in coming to the United States. Sure. Um, we've also seen very draconian policies targeting temporary protected status. Um, we've seen policies at the border that have like, cruelly and harshly in an unprecedented way torn babies away from their mother's arms and father's arms, mm. um, separated children from their families in a very precarious kind of situation where people are coming, fleeing violence, uh, seeking asylum, um, where they bring their children and say, I'm going to protect you from the, the severe violence and harm you're facing at home. I'm going to bring you to a better place. And then they come here and they cross the border and they have their children snatched from their arms and they are completely powerless to sort of continue protecting um, their children in that circumstance. We actually... Uh, very early on in June, I went down to the border in Texas and I, I went to Port Isabel Detention Center and um, talked with many, many parents who had been in the situation, came back here and worked with a couple of other organizations to put together a lawsuit challenging the, the fact that the parents who were separated from their children then as a result kind of failed the only opportunity they would have to establish that they should be allowed to seek asylum in the United States. Sure. Um, so when you come at the border you're put on this very, very expedited track where essentially you get one shot, like one interview during which you can mm -hmm. convince an asylum officer that you are more likely than not to, or like that, it's not even more likely than not, not, it's supposed to be a much lower standard, but you're supposed to convince an asylum officer during that interview that you have an asylum case and, and they should let you proceed to make that case in court. And so all these parents, one after the other, were failing their credible fear interviews. That's what it's called. It's called a credible fear okay. interview or CFI. Yeah. They were failing their CFIs because they were getting those CFIs while they were separated from their children and completely traumatized by that, by that separation. We talked to the parents. They were like, we didn't know what the officer was asking us because all we could think about was where are our children? And we actually saw yeah. transcripts of those um, interviews where the person would, the, the asylum officer would try to talk about the asylum case and the parent would just answer, I, I don't know about that, but where's my child? So like they clearly were not in a position where they could articulate their fear of return and why they shouldn't be you know, deported back to their home countries. And so they failed their credible fear interviews and the government was going to deport them. Mm. And so we filed a lawsuit saying that they deserve a second chance at a credible fear interview because they were not able to meaningfully participate in those interviews in that traumatized state. And this process uh, is on ongoing? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that lawsuit actually became part of a couple of other lawsuits that had been filed. The Ms. L case that was filed by the ACLU that was about reunification and a case that was filed by Hogan Lovells called MMM versus Nielsen, I think, which okay. was about the, the rights of the children. Our case, Dora versus Sessions, was about the rights of the parents. The Dora class, which we represent, has now become mm -hmm. part of the Ms. L lawsuit in the California litigation. And there was a global settlement agreement under which we were able to negotiate that every one of those parents, if they so chose, should get another credible fear interview. 
And so far, many parents have gotten those re-interviews and they've all passed. You know, we went in. Yeah, we went in. It was enormously difficult to put that lawsuit together, enormously difficult to get everyone on board. I think we had some very difficult uh, situations and circumstances trying to fight for the rights of these parents. But ultimately, I think that we are getting a, a very good result. I mean, it's still ongoing. The settlement implementation is still ongoing. We're still monitoring that. We still you know, have to work with the government kind of on a daily basis to make sure that things are going the way that they should be going. You know, it's been a really good outcome. Yeah, yes. Um, and it, <laughs> you know, these things don't happen in a day. So it's a, a continuous, <laughs> continuous march. It's a marathon. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So um, we, we talked about like asylum, detention centers, um, also the Muslim ban, you know, pre- projecting out in the future is anything on the horizon that you guys see that that you want to get involved with yeah well actually i can tell you there's another sort of broad area that we've just recently started working in that we're kind of expanding outwards also Mm -hmm. which is um the rights of prisoners or or immigration detainees who are in detention centers and who are not being allowed to practice their faith Mm -hmm. um our constitution and also our statutes strongly protect the rights of people who are incarcerated or detained to observe their religion and prisons and detention centers should not be throwing up, you know, unnecessary and illegitimate obstacles to that religious practice. And so we just very recently, just a couple of weeks ago, filed a lawsuit against the Glades County Detention Center, which is one of the county jails that contracts with ICE, Immigration Customs Mm. Enforcement, to hold immigration detainees. And they were holding a large group of Somali detainees who wanted to practice their Muslim faith and were not being allowed to do so. Um, so we sued Glades County and we sued ICE for failing to supervise and ensure that people were able to kind of observe their religion as they should be able to uh, while they were in, in ICE detention. Uh, we also have some lawsuits going on on that front outside of the immigration context. So for prisoners and incarcerated people generally. Mm-hmm. And we do have a very active area of work around religious liberty issues. Um, so that's a general area of work that we have sort of mostly been developing through amicus work, but also sometimes through representation, for example, of prisoners or of community groups who want to build a mosque or a community center or a cemetery or something like that and are being stopped from doing so. For the people who are listening um, and would like to help in the initiatives that you spoke about today, how can they get involved? Um, so I think the best thing to do is follow us on Twitter. This is very important. Add us on Facebook. Um, okay. That's actually a place where a lot of the news about what we're doing and sometimes uh, sometimes petitions that we're looking for signatures on or opportunities to uh, for example reach out to your congresspersons and and you know opportunities to sort of participate in our work and so really i would just encourage people to follow us on twitter muslim advocates um add us on facebook sign up for our email lists and that will be the best way to kind of find out when you can help and support our work For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.